Tonight at GZM, we're going to talk about Jesus. Tonight's topic is thank you, Jesus. You know that this is a day that we celebrate something terrific and horrific. You know, a lot of us don't really understand the cross very much. You know, that we, we grew up in religious homes, and some of us grew up not knowing really anything about Jesus as far as the Easter is concerned, that we get chocolate and we hide eggs because Jesus is coming back. And we don't really understand some of the aspects of our faith. You know, even... You know, me growing up in a Christian home, you know, going to church on a regular basis. You know, if you would have asked me as a teenager what it meant to be saved or what the good news was, and I would have no idea. So it was easy for me to wander from my faith because I didn't have anything. You know, I went through religious motions. I got dragged to church. You know, and and many of us probably grew up in similar ways, you know, that Sundays come and you go to church, you know, and after church you you live however you want. You know, in my 20s I, I went far from God. I would even say that I was an atheist and I didn't believe in anything, you know, through you know, addiction and, and pain and dysfunction and sin. You know, I found myself in some very dark places. You know, looking for anything to find hope and finding none. It wasn't until I was broken enough that I got invited to church and I actually decided that, you know, coming to a celebrate recovery meeting can't hurt me considering where I've been, just been. You know, and it's funny how the Holy Spirit is already ahead of us. That we don't really realize how much we need Jesus. And Jesus comes and gets us. You know, and as we we start to go through the motions of trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. You know, we get handed a Bible and we don't read it. We get told that if we pray things in Jesus' name, then he'll give us things according to his will, and we have no idea what that means. And we pray for stuff that we shouldn't have, and we wonder why we don't get it. And we go through the motions of church. You know, and we start to learn certain lingo, and we start to learn certain terminology, and we start to realize that I'm supposed to have a relationship with Jesus and I don't have any idea what that means. And people tell us that Jesus died for our sins and we're like, yeah, that's cool. But when you really look at the testimony in the Gospels of what Jesus went through, it's horrific. You know, it you know, on Palm Sunday, he's coming in Jerusalem and he's riding this donkey and people are throwing things at his feet and everyone's 
singing Hosanna and praise be to God and, you know, the Messiah has come and a week later they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It's the same people. You know, and how quick we turn at times from Jesus when we're not getting what we think we should be getting. Because our idea of Jesus is skewed because we don't really understand the cross. You know, that Jesus knew what was coming. That he, he got down and he, and he prayed and he asked his friends to pray for him and they fell asleep on him because they didn't get it. No matter how much Jesus told them that he was about to go die, their idea of what Christianity was going to be was completely different. They thought that it was going to be blessings and rewards and they were going to get lordships and they were going to get money and they were going to be styling and profiling in Jesus' name. You know, and he got down and he pled with the Father. He's like, if there is any other way that this thing can go down, can we figure that out? So much that he had blood coming from his sweat pores. That he was interceding for himself. Because he knew what was about to take place. But in the end of that, he said, your will be done. And then Judas shows up, and he's got the security of the, the temple from the Pharisees, and, and they they take him, and, he, and Peter tries to step up, and he hacks some guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how we're doing this. And he takes his ear and puts it back on. Everybody falls down. At that point, personally, I'd be like, I can't go through with this. This Jesus fellow has got some some powers that I don't understand, but yet they still take him. They take him to a private meeting, and they start harassing him on logistics because they're trying to twist Scripture. They're trying to twist the Word against the Word. And they're trying to call him up on things that he did or said. And he's like, yeah, you're right. To the point that they got so frustrated that they wanted to kill him. And they knew that they couldn't kill him. So they had to go to Pontius Pilate, who was the, the, the Roman ruler in Jerusalem at that time. And they gave him over to Pontius Pilate. And they said, we want him dead. And he's like, this is a religious matter. Take care of it yourself. And they're like, well, we can't take care of it ourselves because we want him dead and we know that we can't kill him because we'll get in trouble, so we want you to do it. And Pontius Pilate's confused. He understands some of the the religious laws. He's been in, in Jerusalem for a while, and he's got some people around him that's trying to figure out all this, this Judaism. And, and And he's talking to Jesus, and he's like, so you're the king of the Jews. And he's like, do you say that I am? And he's like, so what's really going on? You know, and he's trying to talk to Jesus, and he's not getting a straight answer. How many of us have tried to talk to Jesus, and we don't get the answers that we think we should be getting? He's always talking to us in these weird ways. I mean, 
you know, and he always like has these riddles. And it's not until later that you're like, oh, I get it. But one of the things that he said to Pontius Pilate that, that really messed with him is that you'll know the truth when you hear it. And he's like, well, what is truth? And Jesus is just like, here I am. To the point where Pontius Pilate doesn't really know what to do with him, so he hands him over to Herod. And Herod is like really excited that he gets to hang out with Jesus, who is a magician, and he wants Jesus to play tricks for him. And he's like, pull a rabbit out of the hat. Because he's hearing all these stories of, you know, blind eyes being healed and people getting raised from the dead. And, you know, there's, everybody's hearing all these stories. So when they get around Jesus, they're like, perform for me. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not doing it. And he's harassing him and he's picking on him and he's like trying to get Jesus to, to jump through hoops. Herod gets so frustrated with him, he sends him back to Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate is still trying to plead with him and saying, defend yourself, and then I can set you free. And Jesus is like, you don't have that authority over me. I have given you this opportunity, and if the Father has given you authority to do this, then obviously this is the way it should be done. And Pontius Pilate's like so frustrated. He's like, I wipe my hands from you. My my hands are innocent. The blood's on somebody else, even though I'm giving the, the order for you to be flogged and beaten. And he releases them to the guards. And he gets mocked and he gets ridiculed. So much that they weave this crown of thorns because they're mocking him because they say that he's the king of the Jews. So they take this crown of thorns and they literally put it on top of his head, and they hit it with a stick so hard that it sticks into his skull, piercing him. And that blood is just coming, and they, they get this cat of nine tails, which is this whip, and it's got lead tips, and it's got like hooks on it, and they just beat him 39 times to the edge of the law, because if you hit him 40 times, he might die. So he was unrecognizable on how much he was beaten. That his flesh was literally pulled from his body. Like you could see his ribs exposed. He's bleeding from everywhere. They're punching him in the face. They're spitting on him. And then they give him this cross to carry. And at any time, at any time, Jesus can say, all right, dad, I'm done with this. Send the boys. Let's kill everyone. And he doesn't. And he carries his cross and they're mocking him and people are screaming at him. So much that he can't even carry his own cross that that someone is assigned to help him carry his cross because he's so weak at this point that he can't even make it. And they get him to the Golgotha, which is the mountain, which is, you know, where they crucified people. It was a public display. The Romans were very systematic and very good. And it was almost a scientific method of how they could kill people in the most amount of pain. And they were really good at it. 
and that it was almost like a machine, that they were known for it, that they didn't even know how to explain it, that they had to make up a word called excruciating, talking about the cross and how much pain it would be. And they nail him to this, this tree, and they lift him up in the air. And literally, a week prior, there's thousands of people praising him. And he had 12 disciples that followed him for three years. There's only one man at that cross that he knew. And there was four women. Out of the thousands of people that he fed, out of the hundreds of people that he healed, there's literally no one except John and four women named Mary. It's pretty interesting if you research it. I did it a couple of years ago. I was blown away. And he's hanging there for hours. And he's even getting mocked by one of the guys that's hanging on the cross next to him. And he gets to that time and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what even they're doing. And he releases his spirit and he dies. And the Jews are so concerned that they don't want to be unclean that they're like, get this dude off the cross because we got a party this weekend. So they go and they break the legs of the two thieves that are on the crosses next to them and they go to Jesus and they're like, I think this guy's dead. And they're still not quite sure, so they stab him with a spear through his ribs and blood and water start gushing out. And they take him down off the cross, and this guy, Joseph, who is a rich guy in the town, and he's got this tomb that he bought. And he goes to Pontius Pilate, and he's like, can I have him? And he's like, I just, I'm, get him out of here. He's so sick of dealing with the Pharisees at this point in time. It's like, just make it disappear. And this guy, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee who had been secretly going to Jesus, he, he brings... Like 75 pounds of myrrh. And he's like, let's bury Jesus. And see, like, we don't get this stuff. We don't understand what's really happening. See, they don't embalm people because they think that that's like demonic. So that they literally would anoint him. They would take aloe and myrrh and they would mix this concoction and they would rub it all over someone's body so that when he started decaying, that, you know, he wouldn't stink. Because myrrh was such a potent. But myrrh was this, this spice that they would use at burial times. And literally, they brought enough myrrh for an entire kingdom because he was a king. It literally would take, like, such a fraction of that amount of myrrh 
to literally put on someone's body that they brought so much that it was enough for a kingdom. It was a symbol of that this is a king. And myrrh at that time was more expensive than gold. And this guy is like spending a fortune to anoint the anointing. And see, like, Jesus suffers under Pontius Pilate onto his death because he chose to. You know, and as Christians, we don't really grasp it. You know, we understand, you know, Romans 5 8, you know, he died for me before I ever knew him, while I was still his enemy. Yeah, that's great. But until we really understand why he did it, we're not really saved. Because our life still belongs to ourselves, and we like to have this paganism, and we put Christian clothes on it, which means I do what I want to do. Praise you, Lord. I go to church on the weekend. I'm saved because I said a prayer. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to read any of that. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Deny our selfish nature and lay it down on the death and do what he's asking us to do. That when we deny ourselves, we think we're sacrificing this great thing. But then when we look at what he did for us, there's literally nothing that we could do ever in comparison. And we think when we go through the smallest of hardships, we're like, why have you forsaken me? And when we really get this, this grasp of what he did and why he did it, that he literally laid it all down. And when you break out the components of this, it's really pretty crazy that he was willing to take religious persecution because if you follow Jesus, you're going to get religiously persecuted. He took community or statewide persecution because if you follow Jesus, the state or your community is going to persecute you. He went to Herod, who was really the government of that place, that he took the persecution of the government because if you follow Jesus, you might get persecuted by the government. He laid his life down to his friends because if you follow Jesus, you're going to get persecuted by your friends. You're going to get persecuted by your family. You're going to get persecuted by everybody around you. To the point that it's going to get really uncomfortable following Jesus. But when you realize what he did at the cross that day. See, he didn't die for your sins. He died covered in them. That that moment when he's on the cross and he actually says, why are you forsaking me? Is the first time in his entire life that he was separated from the Father. And it's not that the Trinity was broken, it's that he was so covered in sin and God is so holy, he had to step back for just a moment. And in Jesus' humanity, he died. He could not take the power of all of that sin because the wages of sin is death. 
The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die because of the sins that we've committed against ourselves, against our family, against our friends, against the people that we say that we love the most. We have sinned against them drastically. And Jesus knows that we deserve death. That we can't earn it back. That he took it all upon himself. Because he knows that there is no way for us to redeem ourselves. In our best efforts, we will never be good enough to pay for the things that we've done wrong. And so often we are trying that we get free from our sin. And we are trying our best to behave ourselves. And it has nothing to do with about being good enough. It has everything to do with it. I am a filthy sinner and I do not deserve the life that I have. That we understand the cross because we realize that we don't deserve it. That he willingly humiliated himself and took upon the wrath of God so that we could have freedom and communion back with the Father. That we could have this relationship that there is no other way that we could have. And it's even more than that. That Isaiah, 800 or so years before Jesus ever hit the scene, he's prophesying that we're going to bring healing, that we're healed by his stripes, that we're pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. So in this moment that he was pierced and he was whipped and he was flogged and he was beaten, It's bringing healing into our natural body and into our mental state of mind. That the crown of thorns was pierced so that we could have freedom in our mind. That our backs, his back was ripped open so our backs could have freedom because we carry all this stuff. We carry our own sins. And Jesus was breaking us free from trying to fix it ourselves. That healing is available to us. But we take this state of mind that this world is throwing at us and we we negate the power of the cross. We negate what Jesus did because we don't realize that there is so much healing in the power in the name of Jesus. But we're going through the motions of this world and we're going through the motions of religion and we're wondering why we're not walking in freedom. is because we're still doing it our way with some good Christian slogans and a couple good verses and a praise you, Lord, and hallelujah. Let's find some eggs this weekend. That when we really look at the power of what Jesus did for us, there is literally nothing in this world that we can't do according to His will, not our own. There is so much freedom. There is so much healing available to us. And we limit it because we're not getting it the way we think we should. But never did Jesus ever do anything the way that people thought he should. And then we get saved and we think Jesus should perform the way we think he should perform. That we're doing the same exact thing that Pontius Pilate and Herod was doing to Jesus. That we're mocking him because he's like, you don't get it. And I, I have nothing to say. You say that you belong to me, but you don't read the word. You say that you belong to me, but you can't deny yourself for three seconds. 
You say that you belong to me, but you don't talk to me. You say that you belong to me and fill in the blank. We're all guilty. I am so guilty. I am so guilty of not hanging on and doing what Christ is asking me to do at times. But that's the the good news. The good news is that He sets us free from ourselves. He wants us to understand that we can't do it. We're going to fall short. That we're going to miss the mark. Over and over and over again. And that we have to turn back to the cross and we have to say, Jesus, forgive me. We have to come before Him and repent on a regular basis. It's not a one-time thing. I really believe, personally, that as I went back and I started addressing all these different areas of sin in my life, it's really putting Him at that place of Lord. It's not a one-time prayer. There's all these things in my past that I'm still controlling because I suppress it and I don't talk about it. So as I go into and deal with my dysfunctional family, Jesus had a dysfunctional family. His dad was not really his dad. He had like this stepdad. His brothers hated him. He was like, do tricks. He's like healing birds. He's going to the temple and talking to people. He's, He's doing all these weird stuff. And it's like, who is this kid? As a teenager, he's teaching the, the, the rabbis in the, in the temple. And he's like, they're like, who, where did he, isn't he like Joseph's son? Like, I, we don't get it. Just imagine being Jesus' brother. It's like, can you not be perfect all the time? James, like, hates him. He's like, I'm not giving you that. I'm not even. It's not until later on that he's like, all right, I guess i got to get with the, the program over here. He actually did die and re- resurrect himself. I've been hearing it since I was a little kid. He actually did it. <sighs> Dang Jesus. You know, that, that they walked with him. His disciples walked with him for three years, hearing him teach, hanging out with him, watching what he was doing, and they missed it. That when Jesus died, they're like, oh well, I guess we're going to go back to doing what we're doing. And they like, someone went back to Damascus because they were from, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. They're like, I'll come too. And I mean, if you read it, you're like, oh, he died, what's out. They didn't even bother. They didn't even go to the cross. They didn't even go to the tomb. Like, I'm going fishing. Like, we don't get what Jesus wants to do with us because we still are hanging on to our own life and throwing some Jesus sayings on it and wondering why we're not where we want to be. And he's like, where has, where in your life have you doing it your way has ever worked? But yet, aren't we still trying to get Jesus to do it our way? And it's not until we realize that our way will never work. We're always trying to blame somebody. Blame mom, blame dad, blame Obama, blame Trump. Blame your baby mama, blame your baby daddy. Blame, blame, blame. We're always blaming somebody. It's always somebody else's fault. 
And it's not until we have this moment with the cross that we realize that it's all my fault. Now, I'm not saying that people haven't hurt you. I'm not saying that you didn't have a great life. I'm not saying that that everything that happened to you is your fault. But what I am saying, it is your responsibility to turn it over to Jesus and obey him and do it his way and watch what happens. Because no one can do it for you. No one can make me lay down my life and follow Jesus. And religion is trying to put us in this box that says, if you do it my way, then you get to go to heaven. Now granted, there is some truth in some of those things. But at the end of the day, we have to have this personal relationship with Jesus that's been offered to us through what he did in the cross. And as we lay our lives down and repent and allow him to truly cover us from for our transgressions, for our sins, that we are healed. We're healed of self. We are our own worst enemies. Now granted, when you, you start walking with Jesus, you know, there's this good that starts to come out of you. But if we let that go to our, our heads, then we're almost in a worse place than we were before because we think we have Jesus and now we think we're so good we don't need him. So there's this balance of wrath and grace and mercy and truth that I am a wretch but I'm a saint because I've been saved by grace. A grace I don't deserve and a grace I couldn't earn and a grace that was freely given because someone else who actually could lay down his life shed his blood so that we could have a freedom that we didn't even know we needed. And we're so grateful that we have. But yet, it doesn't stop there. That we'll spend the rest of our lives figuring this stuff out. That this time of year is an opportunity for us to reflect. And really realize what he's done for us. And we should celebrate. And we should be happy and joyous. And we should realize that we are free. But there's this other level of freedom that's waiting for us. And who he sets free is free indeed. And there's times that we don't feel free. But are we really taking all the stuff that we feel it's still in bondage of? and giving it to Jesus, and are willing to obey him and do it his way? Well, I don't know. Well, why don't I know? I'm not reading and I'm not talking to him. But then if I'm reading and I'm talking to him, and then I'm trying to be super puffed up in my religion because I I, I did do some of that stuff. Like, no, we get to do that stuff.
that we get to have this relationship with him. We, we get to have communion with him. We get to read his word. It's a privilege. And we take it as a right. And that's when our religion starts to puff our heads up. You know that Paul had this radical transformation because he understood that he didn't deserve it. And he laid down his life for so many because he realized this payment of wages the sin that he owed back to God for what he'd done, he could never repay. But it was already paid for him. You know, and each one of us has to understand that we get this opportunity to, to serve him that we're justified by what he did, that we're made righteous, that his complete righteousness got given to us and our complete sin was given to him. That all of our sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for, but that does not mean that I have a license to do whatever I want. It means that I need to stay connected to him because he set me free. Now, I shouldn't be woe is in me all the time either. Because he's given me this mind of Christ that when we look at things in his perspective, that when we go through difficult times, that when we do suffer for righteousness, for righteousness sake, that we grow in Christ. And so often we go through hard times and we're like, where did he go? And he's like, I'm right here. Let's do it different than we used to do it. Because we always reach for coping mechanisms that aren't him when we go through difficult times. Because we don't understand the power that's available to us if we truly lay it down and commune with him. That he would give us the strength to go through the most difficult things. Because I don't think anything will ever add up to what he did for us. Now granted, there's people that have been martyred and people that have gone through horrific things for Christ's sake. But I know for me, no matter how hard it ever gets here in Utica, I will never come close. Now there's people on the missions field that are in very dangerous places and they're truly suffering for Christ's sake in very horrific ways. Because this world is not the way it should be. And it's up to us to truly look to Jesus and really take his scriptures and understand that this is the good news is that I've been bought with a price. And that price was heavy. That his life was given up so that we could have life. Now we'll all make mistakes. None of us are ever going to live this perfect life. But what I think that we can do is humbly come before him and say, you know what? I want to grow in Christ. I want to change. I want to be who you've called me to be. I want to have a deeper relationship with you. And understanding that that comes with a cost too. 
that people around you, when they see that you're diving into a deeper relationship with Jesus, are going to mock you, that are going to persecute you, make fun of you. And if that's all we have, we are so lucky. I know that I don't deserve the life that I have. And it's all because of what Jesus has done for me. That I never in a million years would have ever imagined that this is what I would want to be doing and do. And there's times and there's days and there's weeks and there's months and I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. And all of a sudden something happens and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that I get an opportunity to be a light. That I get an opportunity to serve the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The God that created this universe wants to use us to spread his good news. And yet we make it about going to church on a Sunday. That if we could really grasp what he did for us, it will truly, truly transform us in a way that we will be so on fire for him that when we do go through hard times that we learn to rejoice because he's strengthening us and he's he's teaching us to persevere at times when we normally would run away that we handle situations with a godly character in a way that we never would have in the past and that we look back on difficult times and we realize how he's been adjusting and healing and changing and transforming and we think thank you Jesus that I did it your way and not my own That it's so important that we spend some time really grasping what he's done for us. And that's what the cross is really all about. You know, that's why that we have, you know, these times, you know, that we do celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Easter and we have communion and we celebrate Christmas. And there's all these times that when it's, it helps us to reflect and to get into our word and get before him and, and realize that we are so blessed for this life that we get to have. I know I should be dead. I know I never wanted to be a Christian. I know that there is no way that you could have convinced me that this is the life that I would have wanted. And Jesus reached into my darkest of places and said, I love you, come here. I'm so grateful for that. And when we reflect on what he's done for us, it doesn't mean that it's perfect going through hard days, but it helps us to reflect on when we want to run away that there's nothing out there worth it. How many times can we run back into our sinful ways and expect that it's going to have a different result? But I have no idea what a life following Jesus can provide. Not that I'll have lavish riches in this life. But I know in eternity, we're going to party. <laughs> it's going to be a happy dance for a long time. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, for what you willingly did for us. Lord, help, help us. To grow in our understanding of who you are and what you did and who you're calling us to be. 
Lord, there's times that we get so scared, we get so frustrated, we get angry. Lord, but help us to use those moments to press into you, to look into your word, to grow in our relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to grow into the men and women that you've called us to be. Lord, help us to to take whatever it is that we're still struggling with, whatever we're still bound up in, and lay that at your feet and look into the scriptures for truth that your blood has purchased us at at such a, a price, Lord, that we could never repay. But your name is the name above all other names. That there is healing in our mind, in our body, in our lives, in our relationships through you. And Lord, help us to recognize whatever we go through, it's limited in comparison to what you went through for us. So yes, why we were still your enemies, Lord, that you laid your life down for us. And Lord, help us to to grow in our understanding of the freedom that comes when we truly follow you and deny ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.